drives a person to commit murder? And why do some murders remain unsolved despite promising evidence and all the efforts of investigators? There are some murders that will stay in the public consciousness forever, not because of their gruesome nature, their high body counts, or their despicable perpetrators, but because they are unsolved years after the crime was committed. The identity of Jack the Ripper, the man from hell, is still a mystery and debated over today, more than a hundred years after the Whitechapel murders took place. More recently, the world still wonders what sick individual committed the Zodiac killings and sent taunting cryptograms to the press. Will the killer of beloved nun's sister Kathy Sazek ever be identified? And who sent Chicago into a state of panic after it was discovered that Tylenol tablets were tampered with, containing enough cyanide to kill? Murder. Mayhem. Can you solve these crimes? January 1947, aspiring Hollywood starlet Elizabeth Short became the Black Dahlia, the most famous unsolved murder victim in Los Angeles history. Has L.A. cop Steve Hodell solved this seven-year-old mystery? We'll look at it and see here. Uh, you know, she only ever really existed in our imagination, the, the Black Dahlia. She was like most of anybody that was on that case, if not all, are, are, are dead been many many years I think it was coming up on the 70th anniversary yeah 70 year old mystery uh it definitely was a strange one it would be different strange for today's times and and craziness that goes on um it just kind of took everybody at the time just unheard of for uh something like this to uh, have, have taken place on Wednesday January 15th 1947, a young mother, Betty Bursinger, pushed her three-year-old daughter in a stroller down South Norton Avenue in the southwest Los Angeles suburb of Limerick Park. It was mid-morning, around 10.30 a.m. or so. One side of the street was scrubland and empty lots. The other side, houses. You know, building had been postponed. That that area there had started to take off and had been postponed by the war. But it was all set to, to ramp back up again uh, real soon. So between 39th and Coliseum Streets, just inches from the pavement, a pale figure laid on the wet grass came into view. To her, it looked like a discarded shop mannequin from an old department store. It was in two pieces close together but flies swarmed and there was something about the whiteness of the mannequin that Bersinger found really disturbing then she saw the face and the savage injuries the 8 centimeter cuts along the cheeks tearing the flesh into a gory smile Bersinger crossed the road and went to call the police the first house she ran to there was nobody home so she ran to the next one a doctor's residence Bersinger was so distraught she forgot to give her name to the operator. The patrol car dispatch call called it in as a 390, a possible drunk. Also listening to the call were reporters on the radio dialed into the LAPD uh, band there. Anything that promised the story was checked out. What they found stunned them. It also struck LAPD and journalists as quite 
incredible that nobody had found Short's bisected body before 10.30 a.m. Hollywood is the place where ambitions of making it are stymied by reality. For every Lana Turner or Rita Hayworth, there were thousands of Lana nobodies and Rita wannabes. Line upon line of girls and boys stepped off the Greyhound buses at Los Angeles bus station from all across the land. Big dreams and sunshine sustained them for a few months until it no longer could. Hollywood then, as it is today, was beaming with dreamers. Sure, they might have won their hometown beauty pageants, but it isn't enough to launch a career. Star quality is either you got it or you don't. Manufactured from raw materials. Fortunately, Elizabeth Short didn't have it, but really, there's no suggestion to ever show that she, she seriously pursued fame. Short, depending on who's telling the tale, then there are those who empower, who prey on the weakness of others. Like great white sharks prowling the coastline of California, they spot an easy meal and make a game of it. For the story is the same today as it was back then. A wide-eyed girl new in town would meet a guy who knew a guy who knew another guy who was friends with somebody in a studio. Maybe, just maybe, they could work something out, no matter if this contact was employed in the mailroom or the lowest rung of the ladder. It was still something. If a girl was really good-looking, chances are they'd be spotted on a street corner by a slimeball agent or producer seizing an opportunity to, to get her in bed. It was a sport. Fueled her ego to their positions of power. It's despicable, disgusting. Probably still goes on today. They were not on the lookout for new Carol Lombard or the, you know, the Lena Turners and the Rita Haywards. Mr. Sleeves would talk her chances up of a screen test with their movie idol or the lucky girl would be rushed to a casting couch in an executive bundle, bungalow on the studio lot and promise the world in exchange for sex. Although she spoke frequently about meeting important folk, an affluent L.A. physician, Dr. George Hodel, could have been one of them. Short was a bit of a habitual fibber, though. What can be said is that for a time, she lived at the home of Mark Hansen, who ran the Florentine Gardens Club and was known to rent out rooms to girls trying to get famous. Short's time in Hollywood is only mysterious to those who didn't live it. Thus, the development of an enigmatic personality fed the public and media's obsession. She became a canvas of the which no which to project all sorts of fantasies. Best short was neither a floozy or a sane. She drank booze, got drunk on occasion, had casual sex. Nothing about this is unusual and doesn't necessarily mark her for death. But during her months in Hollywood, beginning in the summer of 1946, she made acquaintances rather than firm friends, you know trouble. One roommate and known associate, a teenage runaway named Lynn Martin, was passing herself off as a 20-something when she was 15. Like Short, she'd come out to Los Angeles seeking fame and fortune. Beth Short, born July 29, 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts, ended up in California originally by reuniting with her absent father, who had faked a suicide years earlier during the Great Depression. 
when his miniature golfing business had gone belly up in the wake of the Wall Street crash of 1929. Cleo Short thought a disappearing act would be the best way to start again. He also had a shot at escaping his family. Mr. Short's antipathy toward his daughter was a gruesome and a gruesome demise, and her gruesome demise was extraordinary. Basically, he was just a piece of shit. You know, it's it, but it's clear that uh, this man who shirked his responsibilities when the going got tough, he was out the door. So, I mean, why would he give a shit now? When reporters and LAPD finally tracked him down, he said Beth was a moocher, a slob who dated too many men. He didn't kill his daughter and wasn't bothered about finding out who did. Elizabeth Short basically was raised by a tough matriarch, Phoebe Short, Irish and proud. Elizabeth's upbringing in her teen years was poor but respectable. Before the Great Depression, the Shorts had lived a comfortable middle-class lifestyle in a big house in a good part of town. The mother drummed it into the girls, the four, daughter, four daughters in total, that they were a cut above the rest and never forget it. Disregarding the popular image of Elizabeth Short as the ultimate and tragic L.A. vamp, the Black Dahlia, many attest to her being a person who kept her personal matters private. She spoke with an East Coast accent. When she informed people she was from Boston, they were surprised, yet nearly all these people couldn't say they knew her well. She dated almost every night, had a preference for military men, developed a sob story about losing a child and a husband, She'd been engaged to a flyboy who died during the war. She just went from lodging to lodging, hotel to hotel, couch to couch. She was basically a couch surfer. Some of those that uh, come in contact with her, sometimes they said she uh, would be speaking about being afraid of somebody, uh, an ex-boyfriend. Almost everybody noticed the condition of her fingernails bent to the quick, signifying somebody of a nervous disposition. She also plugged cavities in her teeth with candle wax. In death, all sorts of theories world. She was a lesbian, well-known in underground bars. She had undeveloped genitalia. She was a hooker. She made porno films out of financial desperation. She had a middle name, Ann. Oh, she was pregnant at the time of her death. She frequented L.A. seediest dives. She knew the underworld of the city and hung out with the gangsters. She was killed by the mob. None of it was true, but it fed the soap opera of her life and death for decades.
body was found in two pieces. Cause of death given by the coroner was hemorrhage and blood loss. Body showed extensive bruising on the on the face and on the body. She was beaten severely. Her nose was broken. There were eight centimeter cuts to the cheeks producing a grotesque fake smile. Her left breast cut off, flesh above the knee removed, and multiple lacerations were made around the pubic area. Restraint marks were evident around the neck, wrist, and ankles. There was no strangulation involved. Short's legs were spread wide as if the killer was making an obscene gesture and mocking Short. The body had been composed like this. Dissected body cleanly severed via intervertebrae disc between second and third lumbar vertebrae. Placed in a supine position with arms raised above the head. The body had been completely drained of blood or the odd spot found inside a nearby cement sack that had been used to transport short to the scene. Her stomach contained digested fecal matter, either her own or somebody else's. Pieces of skin were also found in anus and vagina. See, a lot of times, that, some of that stuff, you know, you know, you hear about the, the gruesomeness of her, her body, you know, being cut and things like that, but some of the other stuff was just terrible. I mean, that's terrible. And I didn't know that. Um, one of the clues found, an FBI lab report showed two bristles lifted from short skin were consistent with palm tree fibers used to make cheap scrubbing brushes. They are described as stiff, thin, and wiry, and coated to make the bristles water repellent. A cement sack was found near the body. It was used to trans transport uh, Short's remains to the location and left at the scene. Um, Lamont Park resident Bob Meyer described to the police and press a black sedan, possibly a Ford, parked at the curb around 6 a.m. near where the body was found later. However, he didn't, he didn't see the driver. And Betty Bursinger, the one that found the gruesome discovery there, discovers Elizabeth Short on Norton Avenue. In an interview almost 50 years later, she recalled, I noticed the dark hair and this white, white form. It's just a strange... Well, just this case has been, and this is, I'm just going to really just cover some of the basic stuff, because this case has gotten, you, there's people that have spent their life investigating this thing, and uh, it's drove them insane, I believe. Uh, they, they speak of a, the lost week or so, so they say, but uh, before I talk about that, I want to talk about the, I believe right before she missing or, or was found dead she had made a trip to San Diego a woman named Dorothy French was finishing her shift at the San Diego movie house the Aztec theater getting ready to lock up for the night when she saw a girl sleeping in one of the rows it was December the 8th French asked her what she was doing and the pair got to talking of course Elizabeth Short who she was talking to she had no money no place to stay Dorothy French invited her home, offering the sofa, an act of charity led to an extended stay 
well into the new year. This became Short's last known address before she was found cut into pieces. Two pieces. During this time, Short continued her routine of seeking out military types to date every evening, sleeping until noon, loafing around in her dressing gown, writing letters to her mother, talking about getting a job, but never quite managing to apply for one, and telling the Frenches a bunch of stories about how she knew big people in Hollywood, as well as willing out the ones about fiancé Major Matt Gordon, who was killed in the war, her one true love thwarted by war in a plane crash. The guy dying in an aviation incident was actually true, but the way she used it to elicit sympathy puts her in a bad light, like some grifter running a scam. An emotional scam, not a, not a criminal one. L.A. Hacks learned of Short's time in San Diego via a phone call to Phoebe Short. The conversation also served as a very important clue when the Frenches saddened to discover Elizabeth's fate after she left them on January the 9th, mentioned Red and Bob. Robert Manley, a businessman. This gentleman was an acquaintance of Short. He had driven her to Hollywood and they had met him several times during her stay in San Diego. Manley was so taken with Beth that he drove up to her on a street corner and she chastised him for his uncouth style. After all, a guy talking to a girl on a street corner from his car can give off the wrong impression. The French has also mentioned a strange occurrence related by a neighbor of theirs. One night a car pulled up and three people, two men and a woman, two men and a woman, sorry, knocked on the door repeatedly. The neighbor seemed to believe they had held some connection to the girl sleeping on their sofa. Vera and Dorothy told press reporters how Short mentioned several times in fact that she'd left town and headed south because of a crazy ex-boyfriend was threatening her and she needed to escape his clutches. Was it another of Short's tall stories? Big lie? The ex-boyfriend was never identified or interviewed. up Elizabeth Short in San Diego while driving back uh, up toward Hollywood Robert Manley told police that she was looking at certain cars in the rearview mirror and was extremely paranoid on the ride back he was a suspect so LAPD injected him with creep serum made him take a lie detector test and he passed he informed the cops that he dropped Beth off at the Biltmore Hotel, downtown L.A., January the 9th. Manley said she was supposed to meet her sister, Virginia, there from the Berkeley area. So, uh, Red, or Robert Manley, waited around for a few minutes, checked with the receptionist, asked a few people around if he had seen her sister, and then he left. At some point, that early evening, Short walked out of the Biltmore and into real crime infamy. Her star in the constellation of famous murder victims fixed for all eternity. So now detectives working the case that they've got to fill in these gaps for this week, January 9th through the 15th, when Short but all but just dropped off the face of the earth. Was she holed up somewhere with a new fella, boyfriend? Or was she abducted and tortured for days before her body was found? surprising location. Who did she meet? Where did she go? Nobody knows for certain. 
eyewitnesses came forward, but eyewitness testimony can be proven problematic or even mistaken. These missing pieces inspire the conspiracy theory of conviction. But for certain, somewhere in that missing week is Short's encounter with her killer. Beth was a high-risk victim. She was transient, flirting around Hollywood, doss houses, and rooms. Always broke, but somehow never going hungry. Serial killers are opportunistic and will select a person at random. Chance meetings with deadly ends. And of course, Short was the type that would talk to anybody. The injuries to her body were extreme and intended to humiliate Miss Short to death. It was pure butchery bar, the neat severing of the body. Of course, this de detail fed a particular angle during the investigation and in the years to come that the killer was a skilled surgeon. 1949, George Hodel came to the LAPD's attention as a potential Dahlia suspect when he was put on trial for raping his teenage daughter with several others involved, another man and two women. Deviant art and pornography were found when LAPD searched his prestigious house designed by the son of Frank Lloyd Wright in the Mayan style. Although he was acquitted of the rape charges, the police wiretapped his house, not his phone, his house, and out of hundreds of hours of conversation, he brought up the idea he was a suspect, saying, quote, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they can't prove it now. Now, in several books, such as the 2003 Dahlia, Black Dahlia Avenger, Steve Hodell attempted to do just that, but Hodell wasn't the only surgeon under suspicion then or now. If it were a serial killer, Short may have well been his revolting masterpiece. But the LAPD decided early on this was a one-off event, as they found no links to other unsolved murders on their files. The shadowy exiting from the Biltmore Hotel makes for an apt symbolic image of an unknowable girl presumed to be full of secrets. Thanks to all the lies and Looney Tune theories about mad doctors and all the rest of it, peddled down the years by those with good and dubious intentions, her life in Hollywood became the plot of a fascinating detective novel without a satisfactory ending. The lack of proper finale, a hairpin third act twist, the big reveal where everything is cleared up, and the coat of the seas, the fiend sent to the gas chamber for the big sleep is what haunts us most about the Black Dahlia murders. There were 15 unsolved homicides in 1947 Los Angeles. Elizabeth Short was just one of them.
things that were going on in her life at that time, and especially right before her disappearance, are extremely important in solving this crime, I believe. I believe the location of the placement of the body is extremely important. Why that area? So we get to the investigation. So they found the body. Jane Doe number one. That's what they called her. The vacant lot on South Norton Avenue yielded very little information. There was nothing to identify the poor girl. Another annoying issue. Beat the cops and journalists were traced all around the crime scene, contaminated. But one thing was clear from the lack of lack of blood and the strange posing of the bisected body determined she'd been killed elsewhere and transported to the location. Uh, as said previous, the only bit of blood was found in the cement sack where they felt like her body was washed and they found the bristles of the brush on her body. Her body was clean and drained of blood hauled to that area in the cement sack. Merck Park was and still is a middle class neighborhood. In 1947 it was undergoing major renovations. Older houses were being torn down, replaced by new homes and better public amenities. Lemmer Park is described in James Elroy's classic novel The Black Dahlia as post-war boom like a neon sign. The dumping site was particular and must have held some significance. LAPD understood this was a sex crime and worked on the assumption. The concept of the serial killer would have been completely unknown to detectives like Spanish Brown and Harry Hansen, just as Jack the Ripper had bamboozled East End plots in 1888. Years later, FBI man John Douglas thought partly the same, it's the same concept as the location needed. Though partly working from faulty material in John Gilmore's Severed, 1994, for a long time described as the definitive account of Elizabeth's short story, Douglas profiled the Dahlia case and believed Lemmer Park was symbolically significant. After all, this was a very public place to leave a corpse. It was designed to shock assailant could easily have been caught in the act by a passing patrol car or seen by residents. Most serial murders will dump a body out in the sticks where they have a chance of never being found or seriously decomposed by the time someone stumbles across the remains, perhaps months or years later. The need to identify the body was paramount. By the time the girl was on the slab and prints were taken, the skin had shriveled and proved difficult. Dr. Frederick Newbar, the chief coroner, examined the body and determined whoever she was had been killed somewhere in the region of 24 hours. She was killed on January 14th. Shipping off the prints to Washington and the FBI would take days. But then a light bulb turned on in the editor of the Los Angeles Examiner's head. Why not use their sounding machine, an early type of fax, and wire the prints? 
the LAPD investigation, even at this very point, had ground almost to a halt. And the editor, like a mob boss, made them an offer they couldn't refuse. Use of the sound decks to verify and identification in exchange for exclusive access to her identity. They readily agreed. On January 16th, the FBI received a badly blurred copy of the prints, but miraculously, within 56 minutes, they had made a positive ID. The victim was Miss Elizabeth Short. One set of prints on file regarded a job she had applied for at Camp Cook Military Base, Santa Barbara, in January 1943. The other set was from an arrest for underage drinking, again in Santa Barbara, September 23, 1943. The relationship between the Los Angeles cops and journalists was very cozy. Not like today, where mutual antipathies exist between them. What effectively happened in the Black Dahlia case was reporters often being one step ahead of the law. They shared information and fed each other tips, but the papers broke stories before the cops had a chance to act. The Examiner and the Herald Express put out messages directly appealing to the public for information like they were the ones running the show. Dual investigations were being carried out, and yet both would come up naught. 300 suspects or nothing. The killer remained at large beyond their collective grasp. This was possibly a result of a sorry mix of police incompetence and crafty maniacs in the post-war years were a time of crisis and intense controversy for the LAPD. The public left incredulous that such a brutal act could go unpunished and unsolved. Think about the newspapers and the journalism and the investigators at the time is that you would never hear of anything like that today. Um, the reporters knew more than, than the investigators did. You know, nobody, uh, neither hardened LAPD detectives or uh, seen it all and then some journos could quite believe the horrifying state of the body laid out on the wet grass. This in a city where bizarre crimes and sickening acts of violence against women were fairly common. Uncensored photos taken that day at the crime scene and the morgue would not be seen for years because they were too extreme to print. But the Herald Express and the William Randolph Hearst co-owned, or sorry, owned Los Angeles Examiner ran the clappers with the juicy story, turning it into one of the biggest news items of the 1940s with plenty of muckraking and conjecture to fill in the blanks. And this was a case with plenty of blanks. The Black Dahlia murder was front-page news for 10 solid weeks in the City of Angels. The Examiner's extradition rushed out January 16th was the biggest, was the paper's biggest seller with the exception of the V-Day announcement. The appetite for this unfolding saga was voracious and reporters worked it hard. They followed leads, appealed for witnesses, and chased anything that might develop a story almost as if the papers were running the investigation as they often broke new info before the cops had time to even reckon it up. So frenzied was the desire for the next big scoop and headline that when the examiner made contact with Phoebe Short, they hoodwinked her. Elizabeth had won a beauty contest, they told the unsuspecting mother to make sure they were speaking to the girl's real mother. We must ask questions, pumping her for the girl's life story. After a while, they dropped the bombshell. 
this was no way to treat a victim's relative and Ferris. They knew they were being unconscionable bastards. Miss Short was stunned and couldn't quite believe what she was hearing. Journalism can be a low business. TNT uh, television series came on a while back was uh, about the Black Dahlia murder, but more than anything, it was about the Hodel family. And uh, the daughters and granddaughters. It was uh, very interesting. And from that spawned the podcast Root of Evil, which goes through the Hodel family what connections they think they have to the Dahlia case and uh, just some different things about George Hodell Steve Hodell's wrote several books I've seen him on Dr. Phil and he has a a compelling story Um, they talk about how the, the LAPD had destroyed most of the files but that one of the investigators from the DA's office had had a file in there and before he'd even thought when he was going to clear basically clear his father he had no idea that the LEP or the DA's office had already had a file on his father so his uh, suspicions were not without merit because the DA had already had been looking into him back in the day many years before one of the strange things I find, of course, George, George, you have to listen to the Root of Evil podcast. It goes in depth to the to George Odell. He, he went, basically after the wiretaps in his house, this cat disappears, goes to the Philippines and lives. He finally eventually does come back to the States and resides in Los Angeles. And I'm sorry, resides in San Francisco. And one of the things I found extremely disturbing was that his apartment, now he's dead now, he died a few years back, his apartment where he lived in San Francisco overlooked the cemetery where Elizabeth Short's body was buried. If that's not creepy as shit, I don't know what is. That's one part of the story that, that is telling to me. Either he enjoyed the publicity that he got from that, which it doesn't seem he did. He left the country. So... In maybe in some sick, twisted way, that was his way of keeping an eye on her. Because there's no doubt the man was a sick individual into some very weird shit. But like I said, it's something I can't really cover here. You need to listen to the Root of Evil podcast, and they will let you know a lot of it. Steve O'Dell's done a lot on this case, wrote several books, Black Dolly Avenger. Um, and it's, it's, they're definitely worth reading. But this case here just always, just over the last 70 years, it's always been kind of at the forefront of, of unsolved crimes. It's definitely the most well-known. Uh, it's sad, really. You know, because it was a very trusting person, maybe looking to get, maybe looking to get ahead. Everybody needs help from somebody, you know? Maybe she had done a few things she wasn't proud of to, to make sure she could eat. I mean, who wouldn't? 
But the aftermath of this case is, you know, the LAPD detectives, they failed to catch a killer. And one of the most controversial police departments in the world, even in the 40s. Corrupt and incompetent. The case never broke in a way it was expected to. There would be no one brought to trial, as there never will be. Justice for Beth Short and her living relatives isn't on the cards. In time, the Black Dahlia files edge further and further away from their list of priorities. The 70th anniversary approaches. It's extremely unlikely the murderer is even alive today, let alone for there to be a major break, arrest, and conviction. Since the events in 1947, a vacuum, the vacuum has been filled mostly by attention-seeking kooks, yet the story is bigger than a whodunit because so much of the Black Dahlia's life has been just a big myth. No one knows. Black Dahlia has the perfect ingredients for the ultimate film, movie, or novel and has influenced American culture like no other murder victim. David Lynch used aspects of Short's, Short's life and murder for his 2001 Mystery Mulholland Drive. Short's ghost appeared in an episode of TV horror drama American Horror Story. Author James Elroy found in Short a symbolic victim substitute and used her life and death to work through his own tragedy. The loss of a mother found murdered in a side street, 1958. His acclaimed novel, The Black Dahlia, turned into a film by Brian De Palma in 2006. We fact and fiction to further the tragic femme fatale image of best short in pop culture. He dedicated the book to his mother, writing Mother, 29 years later. His validation in blood, Elroy was a Black Dahlia obsessive, though today he refuses to discuss it. It's an exhausted subject. The killer of Geneva Hilltaker, Elroy, it was never captured either. So, Short's legacy basically stings with cruel irony. Whether as a famous real crime victim, a myth, a cautionary tale, a novelist fantasy figure, or a Halloween costume, the girl with Hollywood in her eyes achieved the fame she'd craved, the type she'd dreamed about working as a cinema usher. Beth became a poster girl, but for all the wrong reasons. Her days in Hollywood were far from Beverly Hills' glamour and closer to the skid row gutter. The Weekly Podcast is a one-man, one-telephone operation. Please bear with me as I learn this process and get better each time that we put one out. The format for us is I just want it to be wide open. I want us to be able to talk about anything that involves news and life. So if we're not entertaining and informative or we can't bring some kind of information to you, that would benefit you or help you, then we are screwed. So bear with me. 
Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week, or you'll hear us next week.